we finish our series today, Be Present in the Local Church. So we have looked in the home, we have looked in the community, we've looked in the workplace, and now we're focusing on being present in the local church. And it's interesting when you talk to people and you ask them around town, hey, where do you attend church? They'll tell you that they are members of this local church here or members of this local church on the outskirts of town. But it leads me to wonder, how involved are they in that local church? Are they known within that local church? And how do they define being present in the local church? How do you define being present in the local church? Is it that you're here every week or here when the doors are always open? Or that maybe if you could just make it once a month that you're doing pretty good? And you would say, I'm present, I'm there. Maybe it's that if you sit on a pew on a Sunday morning and that's all that you uh, participate in, you say, I'm present. Or that sitting on a pew is not enough, that you're in a community group and you're on a team serving and that you're part of a ministry and you just can't get enough and you want more so that you can feel even more present. Oftentimes when we talk about being present in the local church, we're quick to go to um, the obligation, the, the what to do's. Today, I want us to look at the why. Why should you be present in the local church? Because I believe if we get it at a heart level, then that's going to drive our obedience and our faithfulness in the local church. I do find it interesting, though, that there is a pastor in Atlanta. Uh, we could call this a mega church, quite a good-sized congregation, that over 20 years, they've seen growth every year numerically. Uh, they're continuing to baptize. Uh, they're continuing to add to their membership. But just recently, over the last two years, they've seen their numbers start to decline. But yet they continue to add people to the local church, and they continue to see people baptized. Those numbers are about the same. In fact, when it comes to their Sunday school numbers, they're the same. So what is it? And what they've come to discover is that there are many people within their local church who view that just if I'm at church two out of the four weeks, I'm present. I'm there. I'm, I'm doing enough. So what they're seeing is that there are a lot of familiar faces. They're just not often there together at the same time. Has it become among us the ideal or the tradition that now being a part of something is 50% attendance? That that could be enough. As long as we're there, enough. And see, once again, I don't think we attack this today by saying, you know what, let me put a guilt trip on you and say, no, that's not enough. Here's what you should be doing and going, because then you're going to walk away with a bunch of do's and don'ts. I think what we need today is that we need to look within Scripture, and we need to see that we have a very good shepherd, and because we have a good shepherd and we are his sheep, we have all the reason to be meeting together. So if you will... Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, and we are going to look at what it means to be present as the local church. Now, our focus is going to be on the good shepherd today and not so much the church. But then again, isn't that who it's all about? We gather together because we have a good shepherd. It's Jesus that we have in common. It's because of Jesus that we know each other. It's because of Jesus that we gather today. 
And we're going to look in John chapter 10, and we're going to really start in, in verse 10 and go to verse 21. That's going to be our primary text. But before we get there, I just want to give you a summary of what's been going on. Jesus has continued to have confrontations with the Pharisees because they don't believe that he's the Messiah. They don't believe that he is the Christ. They see him in appearance. They see his miracles. They hear his teachings. They're intrigued, but they will not follow him. And so they have these debates. And it's pretty one-sided. I mean, Jesus wins all the debates that they have. It's not even close. And then all of a sudden, Jesus sees this man who is a blind beggar. He's been blind since his birth. That's, that's all he's ever known is physical darkness. He's never been able to see the light. And then Jesus heals him, and he heals him on the Sabbath. And when the Pharisees get wind of this, they're enraged. How dare Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath? And they set up to trick Jesus, and, and that falls back on them. And Jesus tells this man, hey, come follow me. Come be a part of the flock. And then Jesus continues to address these Jewish leaders as they are against him and all that he is seeking to do and accomplish. It comes to a head here in John chapter 10. And in the first few verses, he speaks of these robbers and thieves and how they try to get into a different way into the sheep pen. And the way sheep pens were designed is either they could be up against a wall and there's only one entrance, but it's open over the top. And so they try to climb in over different ways. Now, be clear on this. He's not talking about how they can find a different way into heaven. But he's talking about these men as if they're coming to steal the sheep. And he's talking about the Pharisees. And he's talking about those wicked teachers who have come before them even, who have tried to come into a different way to steal away the sheep, to confuse them, to drive them away, just like this blind beggar who's been given his sight. And they push him out of the synagogue. They push him out of the teaching. They say, you get away from us. And Jesus says, come to me because you're one of mine. And he speaks of a hireling who is there to guard. But when there's danger, the hireling runs away. But when it comes to the good shepherd... He stands in the doorway, and there's only one way in, and there's only one way out. And it was this blind beggar who was welcomed in to the flock. And Jesus speaks of a fold, and he speaks of a flock. And it's not like he's just trying to use two different words to be fancy. The fold that he's speaking of are the Jews, saying these are the Jewish people, and out of this fold, will be some of my church. And they will join a flock. And this flock will be Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ. So when you read about the fold, you're reading about the Jews. When you're reading about the flock, you're reading about the church that's all brought together through one shepherd. And that one shepherd is Jesus Christ. There's only one way into the flock. Now we speak of sheep and Throughout the Bible, God's people are referred to as sheep, and it's a great illustration because sheep are clean animals. They were acceptable for sacrifice, unlike pigs and dogs. Some of you say, how dare you say my dog's unclean, right? But sheep are clean. And these who would be a part of his flock would be clean. They would be pure. 
They are defenseless and need care of the shepherd. They have no razor-sharp teeth. They don't have razor-sharp claws, and they're not fast. So in the field, they're defenseless. They're easy prey. There's nothing that they can do for themselves. They need a shepherd to take care of them, to protect them, to guard them. And as Wesley said, they're prone to wonder. As sheep, they're prone to just wander off. You see that in your life at times where you're just prone to wander off and go in a different direction other than what's honoring to Christ. So most uh, oftentimes they must be searched for and brought back. Sheep are peaceful animals and they're useful to the shepherd. How are they useful to the shepherd? Because uh, when you shear a sheep, you can use the wool for good purposes and we as the church can be used as a good purpose for Christ as he works in and through us. So to use a sheep is a very good illustration for the church. In verse nine, Jesus says, I am the door. He speaks of many I am's in the book of John. He says, I am the way, I am the door, I am the shepherd. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what does this mean to go in and to go out and to find pasture? To go in means that they will be guarded by the shepherd. He knows his sheep, each and every one of his sheep. He does not forget their name. He does not misplace them. He watches over them. So as you're a part of the flock, as you're a part of the church, you are guarded by Jesus Christ. You will never be lost, forgotten, forsaken, You'll never be an afterthought. But then to go out means to be guided. Back in this time when a shepherd would come, there would be maybe two or three shepherds who would have their sheep in the same pen. And when they would walk up, they would speak to their sheep and the sheep would know their shepherd's voice. And they would come to their shepherd. They would walk out to him and he would guide them. So as the shepherd knows his sheep, the sheep know their shepherd. And it was said that shepherds could come blindfolded. And as they called out their sheep, when the sheep would come to them, they didn't even have to see them to know that it was their sheep. They were so familiar with their own. He would guide them. And then he would lead them to find pasture. He would nurture them. He feeds them. How are we fed? Through Jesus Christ. He is our good shepherd. So we come together with this in mind, church. And this is what he's telling the Pharisees and the religious leaders, those who are against them. He says, I have a flock. They are mine. And he's going to get more specific with these men in just a moment. But this is good news because in the book of Ezekiel, starting in, verse, in chapter 34, starting in verse 22 and following, God foretells of his shepherd to come because there were all types of wicked shepherds in the Old Testament who led the sheep astray. And he speaks of a good shepherd that will come. He says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 
And here, when we look to John chapter 10, we see this fulfilled. And so let's look into John chapter 10 in verses 11 and 14. And with our first point today, we see that the church has a good shepherd, a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So the first point that we see today, church, is that we have a good shepherd. Emphasis on good, not only good, but completely good. Beautiful is what this word means. He is a beautiful shepherd. You put him in comparison to all the other shepherds, there's just no coming close to Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. In the Old Testament, we see five shepherds who come in a line, all a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ to come. The first one that we see is Abel. Genesis chapter four, verse two. Abel was a keeper of sheep. How is he a foreshadowing of Jesus to come? He exemplifies the death of a shepherd as he was slain by wicked hands by his brother according to the flesh. And in the same way, Jesus would be slain by wicked hands. The next shepherd that we see is Jacob in Genesis 30, 31, and then also in Genesis 31, 38 through 40. He is the typical truth of the shepherd in his care for the sheep. And then we see Joseph, Jacob's son, coming after him in Genesis 37, verse 2. He fed the flock. Just as we see our good shepherd nurtures us, Joseph fed the flock. Then we see Moses in Exodus 2, 16 and 17, and then chapter 3, verse 1, as he waters and protects and guides the sheep. And yet we see how he led Israel out of Egypt. And then we see David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 34 through 36, and he is presented as jeopardizing his life for the sheep, as Jesus gave his life for the sheep. Three out of these five shepherds looked over the flock of their fathers. And in the same way, Jesus comes to take this flock, and this flock is his father's flock. Jesus can be this good shepherd because he is the only son of God. This prophesied, this spoken of in the Old Testament as well. Psalm 23, verse 1. From the shepherd David, he speaks of the shepherd to come. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 80, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. And here we see in John chapter 10, this good shepherd contrasted from the Pharisees as they were thieves and robbers. How sad is it that we look to Jesus at times and say, if I follow Jesus, I'm losing something. Yes, you lose your life. You die to yourself, but you gain eternal life. He's not a thief. He is not a robber like the Pharisees. They tried to enter the fold through a different way. Jesus says, I am the way. And the sheep did not recognize the Pharisee's voice. The sheep recognized the voice of Jesus. So first we see that we have a good shepherd. The second thing is that the good shepherd gives the church, uh, provides the church abundant life. 
He provides the church with abundant life. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This abundantly, this word means beyond, extraordinary. It means more than enough. Sometimes we ask the question, is Jesus enough or do I need more religion? Do I need more ways other than Jesus? No, Jesus is more than enough. We see that Satan takes life, whereas it's Jesus who gives life. He gives abundant life. John 8, he tells the Pharisees, you are of the father, the devil. The good shepherd gives us everlasting life. Our life in Christ has already begun and will never come to an end. So if you're thinking of eternal life as just something that's waiting for you, when you die to yourself and follow Jesus, eternal life has already begun. And it's now and forever. There's never a recall or cancellation on our salvation. There's no flaw in the good work of Jesus Christ. And those who are in Christ can't do anything to forfeit their salvation. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, there's got to be something that I can do to no longer be a sheep. If you're away from Christ, it means you are never a sheep to begin with. Once you are in the flock, you are always in the flock because he gives you life abundantly. Jesus is the giver of life. Recognize this, that when you came to Jesus, when you followed Jesus, when you repented of your sins to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the only thing that you brought to Jesus was your sin. That's all you brought him. You brought him no good work. You brought him no reason for him to love you. There was nothing in you that wanted him. You can fight with that. You can struggle with that. In, in fact, I encourage you to fight and struggle with that if you don't believe it. Because we see it in the word of God. You can open up to Romans chapter eight and you can see how we are hostile in mind and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You did not want this shepherd. I did not want this shepherd. Left unto ourselves, we look at him and say, you're not good. You're not good. I don't want you. The only thing that you brought forward at salvation was your sin. It's the only thing we had within us. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe that you're totally depraved. And if you don't believe that you're totally depraved, then you believe that there's some goodness in you that could live for God in and of yourselves. And if that's possible, then why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why couldn't he just come in the bloodline that we came in? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. We are born this way. We are born to reject God. We are born to rebel against him, to be stubborn, to not want him. This is why we're grateful for the good shepherd who comes to us and gives us abundant life. The third thing we see is that the good shepherd laid down his life for the church. We see this clearly in John chapter 10. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When he's speaking of the sheep here, he's speaking of the church. 
He's talking about this flock that is his. This is consistent with the scripture. This is consistent with the flow of John chapter 10. In fact, it's consistent with the whole book of John. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. I appreciate what A.W. Pink says when referring to these verses. He says, the Savior gives his life, not as a martyr for the truth, not as a moral example of self-sacrifice, but for a people. As I've said it so often, Jesus did not just die for the idea of sin, to wait and see what we were going to do. Have you thought about this? That if God created a world and then sat back to watch and see what you were going to do, that means that he's not omniscient. That means he does not know all things. Meaning that he is omniscient, that he knows all things, means he has nothing new to learn. Nothing new to learn. Nothing that we can teach him, nothing we can do to surprise him, Nothing to where he would sit back and go, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know that was going to happen. He knows all things. For it to be otherwise means he does not know all things. And if he doesn't know all things, then we're in trouble with all of Scripture. But as we know, Jesus cares for his sheep, and he knows his own. He knows them intimately, and he gives his life for them. Jesus was falsely accused, he was harassed, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was nailed to a tree, and physically exposed. Have you thought about that, Jesus being physically exposed on the cross? Who was naked in the garden and ran and hid? Who became naked on the cross? Jesus. All of these things happened. Yes, it was true. God put Jesus in the midst of men who would reject him, who would yell, crucify him. We don't want him. But it was Jesus who lays his life down. The Romans thought that they were in control, and the Jews thought that they were getting their own way. But before this ever occurred, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. His life was not something taken from him. It was something that he gave for us, for the church, for his sheep, for his flock, those taken from the Jews and those taken from the Gentiles. Our sins were paid for at the cross. That's when payment was made. Payment's not made all along the way. He said it is finished. He's a one-time sacrifice. Never to make that sacrifice again. We love that. 
As, as Baptists, we love that he was a one-time sacrifice because we say, then that means we can be once saved, always saved. But because he's a one-time sacrifice, that means that sacrifice has already been made, meaning payment has already been made. And if payment has already been made, that means that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's because payment has been made. When you stand before a holy God one day, you do not have to stand there thinking about all the things that you've done wrong compared to all the things you've done right. You stand there in the confidence of Jesus Christ that he paid for you at the cross. At the cross. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. No one else has purchased us but Jesus Christ. The payment made with his own blood. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, love using this in premarital counseling, love using this in weddings. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He so loved the church that he gave himself So that as he is given, he took on our sin. So that as the church, his righteousness would be put on us. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a Christ. Past tense, you were bought. Jesus is not waiting to make payment. Payment has already been made on the cross. So glorify God in your body. What is the result? Because the payment's been made for you, you glorify God in your body. The next thing we see is that the church will respond to the good shepherd's voice. How will I know? How will I know? If I'm his sheep, you'll respond to his voice. This is consistent with all of Scripture. Those who are his respond. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There's no questioning those that are his whether they'll respond or not. If they're of his flock, they will respond. Acts 18, 9 and 10, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What is he telling them? Go, keep going, because my people are here, and they need to hear the message of salvation, so they will repent and follow. Come along and follow. Church, the doctrine of election does not erase evangelism. It enhances evangelism. It enhances evangelism. Why does it enhance evangelism? Because if he has his sheep, and they're throughout all the world, and we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have confidence that as we preach the gospel, he will draw them to himself. They know their shepherd's voice. They will repent and follow. 
So maybe you don't share the gospel because you're afraid that when you share the gospel, somebody's going to reject you. Newsflash, you should be rejected at times for sharing the gospel. Anybody ever been rejected for sharing the gospel? Show of hands around here? Okay, yeah. Why? Because the world doesn't want to hear the gospel. But that doesn't mean we stop sharing it. And just because somebody rejects the gospel doesn't mean that we walk away and go, oh, they're not of his sheep. Oh, they're not his. Oh, there's no point. A personal testimony that I can share with you today, church. Ten years ago, I began sharing the gospel with a gentleman who claimed that he was atheist. And he didn't want Jesus. I let him come with us to be a chaperone in our youth outings. You say, what? Yeah, yeah he was good. He was a good chaperone. He was. Good dad. Good to the kids. He was a good skier. Came on a ski trip. As we rode along, I was hoping that as I shared the gospel with him that he would repent and follow Christ, that he would hear me. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I got this. Oh, wait till I give him this argument. It's going to change. And it didn't. He shut me down in the first hour on the way to West Virginia. Imagine the, the other nine or ten hours. <laughs> but as ten years went by, we would sit down and we'd have coffee. Or he would come by and we would talk. And he'd ask questions and then he'd walk away. And my prayer was, Lord, save him. Save him, Lord. Oh, may he be yours. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel with him, work in his heart. But he didn't want to go to the Bible until last year. Last year, he came and he says, look, man, I have some questions. I said, let's, let's talk. Let's keep going. And I started to read the Bible to him, and we worked through the Bible together. Just a survey of the Bible, just a thread of the gospel throughout the Bible. And as he got to the end, I asked him the question. I said, do you want to follow Jesus? And he says, no. I said, but are you intrigued by Jesus? At least you're intrigued. He says, okay, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. So my prayer is, Lord, keep working. Keep working in him. Bring him to salvation, Lord, because let me tell you, it was impossible for me to save him. You can't save him. No matter what you say, and if you think you can, that's dangerous. That's false conversion. And we stepped away, and in stepping away, I'm going, Lord, save him. Save him. Be gracious upon him. May your mercy be poured out upon him. We meet again, and we meet again. And then he comes and he says, you know what? I've started reading church history. Yeah, I've started from the beginning. It's 10 volumes, and he's reading through it. He said, hey, I'm starting to read some systematic theology. And I'm going, that's great. He says, yeah, it's interesting. And he'd ask some questions. We'd continue to work through it. We'd walk away. I'd continue to pray. Never once giving up on him. And then finally, we sit down to have coffee, which I like to have coffee. You know that. And he looks to me and he says, I'm ready to be baptized. <laughs> what? You're ready to be baptized. Why? Because I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> wow. Okay. We can set that up. And he was baptized just a couple of months ago. And you rejoiced. And I rejoiced. Because I'm such a good evangelist. Man, because I can share the gospel. Because I'm patient. Because I persevered 10 years. No, because God is gracious. That's why. 
And that's how we handle evangelism. It enhances it because we have full confidence that God saves and we keep going back and we keep sharing and we share it with our children. Brian, what if your kids don't get it from a young age? I keep praying. I keep sharing. I keep praying. I keep sharing. But God is good. I never doubt that. We have a good shepherd who saves. Evangelism is necessary. And finally, knowing that the church will respond to the good shepherd's voice, we know that the church is eternally secure within the good shepherd's grip. Verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Let's pause there. It was about this time of year when we're reading. This time of year is about four months till he goes to the cross. Verse 23. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Paul's, I'm telling you I'm Jesus. I'm telling you that I'm God's son, and you do not believe me. I can tell you again and again, I can do more miracles, and you will not believe me. For those of you who say, I just need to see something. You don't need to see something physical. You don't need to see miracles because you'll be just like the Pharisees. Or Jesus would say, I told you, and you do not believe. They saw it all, and they do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Why didn't they believe? Because they weren't a sheep. And they were showing clear indication of why they would not follow. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's the confidence. There's all you need to know when it comes to the sovereignty of God. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Can't be more secure than that, or can you? My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So here's what we see in this passage. The Father gives the sheep to Jesus. And they are in the Father's hand, and inside the Father's hand is Jesus' hand, double-gripped, eternally secure. Where did these sheep come from? God the Father. My Father who has given them to me. We see this again in John 6, 37 through 40. All that my Father gives me will come to me. Do you see how the Father is active in our salvation and giving us to Jesus? He is not sitting back, passive, watching the world spin round and round, waiting to see what's going to happen next. He didn't do that before time. He doesn't do that in time. He gives his sheep to the shepherd. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. 
Jesus says, I'm not going to lose my sheep. They're not going to go astray. The Father gave them to me. They're double-gripped. But I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise it up, raise him up on the last day. What does this mean? That as you share the gospel and as they hear, they will believe and they will follow. John 17, verse 2, when he's praying to the Father in the garden, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. It is consistent in all of Scripture. Here is a people that the Father gives to the Son. I will not lose them. I will die for them. I will purchase them on the cross. They will respond in repentance. They will believe. They will follow. So when did the Father take these people to be his own, that he could give them to his son Jesus? Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 answers this for us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You may struggle with the terminology of election. You may struggle with the terminology of predestination. Church, these are biblical words. Now wrestle with it from there, but don't throw out those words just because they're not pleasant to hear. This is our hope. He chose us before the foundation of the world. And as he chose us before the foundation of the world, he creates a world, and within this world, he gives us to his son, that the Son may purchase us so that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It really is by God's grace that you're saved. It really is by God's grace that I am saved. And there's no greater security than being double-gripped by the Son and by the Father, being His. So the Good Shepherd, or the Good the church, has a good shepherd. The good shepherd provides the church with abundant life. The good shepherd laid down his life for the church. The church will respond to the good shepherd's voice, and the church will be eternally secure within the good shepherd's grip. And so with this, and the highlight being on the good shepherd, you say, we started this by you saying, we just need to be present in the local church. Why have you run to John chapter 10? Because that's why we need to be present in the local church. Because of what the good shepherd has done for us. And that we are his. And we're gathered together in a local church, not because you like some style of worship, not because you like some style of preaching. We have so many different options among us. Today, you can leave from here and And you say, I don't like what I hear. And you can go somewhere else where you like what you hear. You go find it. Maybe it's too warm in here for you today and you want to go, I want to go somewhere where it's cooler. I'm sure there are other local churches that their buildings are cooler than this one. There are many different reasons for choosing a local church. But for why you should be present in the local church is because of Jesus Christ. As we gather together, we are prone to wonder, 
we're prone to wander off, to run away. And we need to remind each other of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This hope. And then we ought to look to each other and spur one another on to go share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. None of this is forfeited. I don't know what your motive is for coming to church. But when you look around this building, those who say that they are in Christ all share a good shepherd. You are his, and you have been bought. You have been purchased with the greatest price. You are secure, not in your own works, but in what Christ has done, which leads me to this. As we're present in this local church, we should be known for our humility. Our humility. We're, we, we're arrogant people. We like ourselves. We like to boast in ourselves. And there's probably some type of person, some group of people out there that you think that you may be better than. But when you come to this text, how do you walk away thinking you're better than anyone? It humbles me to the core. It has changed my life and how I view other people. What is the world going to do? They're going to sin. What is the world going to have? Bad language. You go to a ball game, you're going to hear bad language. If it offends you, you stepped into the arena. You cut on the TV and say, there's nothing good today. What do you expect? You see other people who believe different things in the community. Do we scoff at them or do we pray for them? Many people who give their lives for a false religion, do you write them off as if they're no hope? Or do you go to them that they may hear, believe, and follow? We must be a humble people. So when we gather together in our community groups, when you gather together in this building, may we be known for our humility in Christ. May we be grateful and a gracious people and a kind people to each other. There's no arrogance among us when Jesus is our good shepherd. And finally, if you do see that being here two out of four weeks or one out of four weeks or whatever it may be, do you, you count that up? If, if you think 12 weeks in a year makes you faithful to the local church, how would that work for you in your business? How would that work for you in your gym membership? Would you feel like you're wasting something? I don't know what's going on in your life right now whether you're attached here or detached here or kind of somewhere in the middle. But I hope and pray, and it has been my prayer, that as you hear this message today, it encourages you to be a part of the flock, to be faithful, to be plugged in, to serve, and not to look to other people to do it, but that you would be grateful for what Christ has done for you, leading you to serve. So examine these things. Examine why you attend Perimeter Road Baptist Church based on what we've heard in John chapter 10 today. And will you be present? Will you be faithful? 
in the local church. As we move uh, into the new year, will you be faithful? Will you be present? I want to challenge you to do one thing. I want to challenge you to do two things. One way in which we can continue on with this. One, go back and what I preached and study it. Go study it. Go study behind. If you, if you have some issues, if you're struggling with something, let's talk. But the second thing is, I want you to grab one of these little cards. It's got a little candy cane on the back, okay? Please grab these because my sons will if you don't, okay? And you take this. And, and I want you to invite somebody. I want you to take this and say, hey, will you come worship with us on Christmas Day? On the 25th, on that Sunday, will you be here? Will you come at 11 o'clock? We'd love for you to come. Just, will you take one today? They're in the foyers and they're in the back. Just one. And go give it to somebody that maybe you know that you've been wanting to invite to church or maybe that you don't know that you would step out and say, I'd love for you to come. Maybe if you go eat today and you're kind to your waiter or waitress and you tip them very well, wink, wink, right? Then you say, hey, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come worship with us on Christmas Day at 11 o'clock. We'd, we'd love for you to be here. It's what we do as a humble people. We're, we're most grateful for what Christ has done. We want to invite other people to come in here. Now, if, if you're not going to tip well, do not give them this, okay? All right. <laughs> not with Perimeter Rose's name on it. No, uh-uh. That's your name. <laughs> Be a most humble people. Hey, we're speaking of humility. We're coming to the table. And uh, in this basket, there's bread. And this bread is broken up just as Jesus' body was broken for us. He did the good work. He did the full work on the cross. He died. He rose from the grave. He'll return again. So as we take this bread today and you look at it, it's not just remembering what Christ has done, but also what Christ is going to do. Christ is coming back. He is coming back. So as you dip into the cup and you're reminded of the blood of Jesus, this is the blood that we remember that purchased you on the cross. Payment was made then. It's finished. May you rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ as you dip into the cup and then you eat. You remember what Christ has accomplished for you. I invite the church that you would come forth to receive communion. If you are not a follower of Jesus, communion is not for you today. It's not that we're mean or stingy or arrogant. No, it's that your greatest need, first and foremost, is Jesus Christ. And if you come in an unworthy manner, being not a follower of Christ, you could eat, drink, Judgment unto yourself, as we see in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians. We'd rather you first follow Jesus. So I'm going to be standing in the back, and there are going to be pastors standing to the sides. Come talk with us if you want to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to write there on that card, I want to become a follower of Jesus, or I want to know more about following Jesus, the good shepherd. Maybe you write that. Maybe you would just stay seated where you are and watch people as they come forward. And maybe you would enter into a time of prayer and say, God, if you are God the Father and Jesus is the good shepherd, I want to follow him, or I want to know more. Use this time as time to observe and see. But for the church, we come forward to receive. And so, uh, let's enter into a time of prayer and examination at this time, asking God's blessings on this meal to be had together. Father, we thank you for your message. Lord, we thank you for the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Lord, we thank you for the scripture that we hold to, that we stand upon Lord, it makes us a most humble people. And so as we come to the table today, may we come in great humility for all that Christ has accomplished for us.
May your blessings be upon this bread, this cup. In Jesus' name.